Eventually, when you're enabling developers to access production environments, you're kind of having a new surface of attack here. So how will you create a workflow which uh, maintains the organization's security workflows? And even further, the messaging and how you, <laughs> how you simply penetrate into the organization in real production environments. Everyone who is hearing about our concept sounds, from one hand, very magical, but on the other hand, very intrusive. My name is Ilan Peleg, and I am the CEO here at Lightroom. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today how Elon Pelling created the best friend for developers, helping them to observe their applications. All this and more on Code Story. Elon Pelig is 29 years old and has been a long-time middle-distance runner. He previously ran the 800 meters and served in the Israeli army as a professional athlete. At the age of 21, he retired and started his tech career. He said that there are many who would correlate their Israeli service area with their professional success. He just recently got engaged and he proposed to his fiancée outside of Tel Aviv on a cliff in the same spot where they had their first kiss. Generally, he enjoys sports and athletics and sees it has a positive effect on how he manages his team. He also likes to travel and stay educated on the topics that he follows. Elon and his co-founder were developers in many different types of companies, startups, enterprises, etc. It seemed to them that it was easy to debug and troubleshoot applications in development, but found it very difficult to observe applications in production. They realized that most developers were not equipped with the right tooling to troubleshoot and understand live applications in the wild. This is the creation story of Lightrun. So Lightrun is in the mission to become the best friend of the developers, helping them to better observe, understand, and debug live applications. Two years ago, myself and my partner in crime, Lonnie Blufstein, who is the CTO and the co-founder of the company, you know, we both been developers in both enterprise organizations and environments, as well as some successful startup companies which were acquired. And it fell to us that we simply were not equipped with the right tooling to be able to troubleshoot, debug, you know, live applications running in the wild. It seemed to us that when you're developing, it's much easier you know, to debug and troubleshoot applications in dev. And it seemed to us that from one hand, under this DevOps culture that is emerging, southern developers also own reliability and are, are in charge of debugging and testing uh, rather than the, the old workflow where the developers mm -hmm. simply had to develop and, and then there are some support engineers or operators maintaining the production application environment. So now in this we all know, you know, the infinite loop of, 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 of DevOps, as we imagine it. So, from one hand, the gap between development and production widens. Um, but on the other hand, developers simply are not equipped with the right tooling to debug these live applications running in the wild. 
So what we kind of aim is to a better world where, where developers are being able to troubleshoot and understand live applications running in, in the wild in the same ease of use as they're do, doing with, you know, development applications in dev. We call it shift-left observability. We claim that the current observability stack is based on this, I would say, ancient kind of paradigm of log everything, analyze data. Again, developers have to predefine all the logs, metrics, traces they want to collect from live applications, right? And then this software is being shipped to production and there's so many, you know, tools out there which assist you to aggregate huge amounts of data, correlate it, analyze it, visualize it. But they all, all, all of them, they are concentrated on the right bound of the SDLC. They are mainly targeting operators. So we're being inspired by companies such as Sneak who shifted left security and, and HashiCorp who shifted left operations. And now for us, it's time to shift left observability. And what it practically means is, I know developers are listening to this podcast as well. So sorry for being very technical here, but suddenly developers are being able to connect to live applications. And while they're still running in real time, during runtime, create an ops-free process and allow them to add new logs, metrics, traces to live applications. And by doing so, they're simply being able to troubleshoot applications much faster and, you know, generally speaking, understand their behavior. So again, this is where we started two years ago. Now we are proud to mention that we already secured almost $30 million uh, uh, under funding. The latest round was led by Inside Partners five months ago. We're now 30 employees, but we're going to double this number uh, uh, by the upcoming three quarters, three quarters, sorry, from now, operating from Israel and the U.S. as well. So this is very briefly, very recently named as Gartner Cool Vendor. And I think that we, we see uh, a very good reaction from the market, you know, with regards to our new approach. Well, let's let's dive into the first product you built. So, tell me about the MVP, the first you know version of the product. How long did it take you to build, and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? For for, for the context, our main product allows developers to connect from within their own ID to live applications running in the in the background, and you know add new logs, metrics, traces. So within their ID, they're being able to choose a very specific line and decide what kind of pillar of observability, whether it's a new log, metric, trace, and, and stuff, uh, they're, they're willing to add. You know, it, it, it requires us to, to develop a new plugin for ID rather than the you know, only, rather than the main technology which assists us in um, instrumenting new code at runtime. So what we've decided to do, simply because we, you know, we know developers, uh, they're not so spoiled with regards to uh, user interface, at least this is how we see it. So we started, so our MVP was a CLI actually, a command line interface, which triggers this API and assists developers in the main functionality of adding new logs to runtime applications in real time. So the MVP, again, was not around adding the all three pillars of observability from a very native 
um, you know, plugin on top of ID, but it was a CLI and the only command that was being able to be triggered by developers is add new login. Um, so this was our MVP and the idea was better understanding how developers are reacting to this capability, how they're using that and what's next. Got it. So the MVP was a CLI version of the product connected with the API. When you were building that, you probably had to make certain decisions. And it sounds like one of them, a big one was start with the CLI, but dive into some of those decisions and trade-offs that you had to make, you know, in the short term around feature cut or technical debt or anything like that. And, and tell me how you coped with those decisions. A few decisions that, that you know, came to my mind right away. Um, first is like security. Eventually, when you're enabling developers to access production environments, you're kind of um, having a new surface of attack here. So how will you create a workflow which uh, maintains the organization's, um, you know, security workflows and, and, and generally speaking, the whole um, compliances uh, that the organizations are being forced to maintain. Um, and even, even further, the messaging and how you, <laughs> how you simply penetrate into the organization in real production environments because everyone who is hearing about our concept, um, I'm saying concept and, and not product, but the concept sounds on one hand very magical, but on the other hand, very intrusive. <clears throat> so I'd say that at the beginning, we had to cope with this struggle of how we persuade organizations to, you know, um, 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 apply Lightrun's product in real sensitive production environments. <clears throat> and what, what we've done um, is a really thorough process of understanding how we're going to mitigate the whole, um, you know, concerns that might rise up when dealing with the heavy regulated enterprise organizations out there. And sounds silly, but we didn't have a really nice interface at the beginning, but we truly had a really like thorough and, and serious management server or management UI, which allows the operators to enforce security and privacy controls as well as gain visibility of the all access who is being who is being who, who is gaining access to which service which environment under which permissions um, allowing developers to instrument new logs but verifying at the same time that all the insertions are read only and we do not change anything in the you know original flow original behavior or state of the application so it's somehow correlated to the to, to the previous question of defining the MVP. From one hand, it was pretty clear for us that you know the, the early adopters wouldn't be mind uh, wouldn't mind to use our CLI version, and within time we're gonna optimize the user experience, right? But it it's gonna be a must-have capability to support their you know security and operational controls. So this was one uh, challenge at the beginning because from one hand you're, you know, suggesting uh, a product for production environment, but on the uh, to to assist in them 
troubleshoot you know production environments but on the other hand you still want to maintain their current resiliency and stability and integrity of the again production application well then from that point then you know you mentioned the three pillars and you know you started out one way got the MVP made your decisions and trade-offs how did you progress the product from there and mature it and to give context to that question kind of put it in a box how did you build your roadmap and you know decide or go about deciding this is the next most important thing to build myself Leonid and and the majority of the company early days mostly were we were developers so based on our experience it was pretty clear for us what should be the again the MVP now what happens next is you should be able to um, deploy this MVP with real environments real customers or let's call it uh, design partners they weren't be they were they were not yet um, you know paying customers and we simply learned so much from this process of working with design partners. Once we installed the process, the, sorry, once we installed the product with real, you know, within real environments and real users in real production environments, it kind of became an obvious process of how we're gonna enrich our roadmap. Uh, we simply received so many feedback, so many feature requests, uh, like more tactical way, but strategically, we simply better understand the workflow of how developers want to access production environments. Again, from one hand, limited, because you want to limit their access, but on the other hand, um, how you enrich the information they want to gain from application, uh, from live application. And again, at the same time, while you're enriching them with more data, you're still maintaining the services reliable. Um, So just to summarize the answer, um, listening to customers, Listening to customers, it's the main, you know, guidance for us. Um, as well as, you cannot only, only listen to them. You should have some sort of your domain expertise, and you should also suggest some stuff and as hypotheses and test them. So I think the combination of both is, is, is you know, how we've built that at the beginning. Right. You're, you're combining your product vision with the feedback of the users that you have. How, how are you, how are you um, aggregating and collecting that feedback? What process do you follow to get um, the feedback from those users? So now we are a much more established company. So we have processes, okay, uh, which we didn't have in place uh, before. But now we already have some, like each customer of Lightrun, I'm going to talk about the community layer as well, but each customer of Lightrun simply has a Trello board where he can um, list feature requests, bugs, um, and then he also has some tra- transparency from our hand, uh, our end, sorry, where we prioritize and he's being notified about progress with each ticket. Uh, so it's 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 very much uh, organized. Um, we also have a free tier that is being treated very nicely. Um, it's strategic for us, and we also listen to the free community uh, users as well. Before that, you know, um, we were managing like very internal conversations, and 
I can say that we tried to, um, you know, at the beginning you have much less manpower, so you cannot develop everything, and you you also have uh, less customers, so it's very much it, it's very easy to develop something for very specific customer, but eventually it's not going to be relevant for the mass market algorithm. So when 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 you lack customers, you can be very biased. And, and, and it's dangerous. So what we've tried to do is engage with the dev community even that uh, point when we simply didn't have any paying customers or some formal engagements, we still wanted to back our hypothesis not only um, with the feedback we gain with these design partners, but also with the, with the, with the you know dev community out there to make sure that we're not biased on these very specific uh, customers. Well, let's, let's switch to team. So how did you go about building your team? And what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? At the beginning, the main hiring process was how we're going to establish a very, very strong, capable, um, and versatile development team. Okay, because at the beginning we simply had to build the product, um, and then came, you know, other go-to-market, operational, um, and other obvious, you know, stuff that we also need to hire. So at the beginning, it was more around how we collect and group together some of the brightest, some really some of the we simply have some of the brightest developers in the world to develop this very complex product. And there were different approaches, but eventually what turned out to be the most successful is working with our, working closer with our existing network network because it was you know both of us had had pretty good experience within very successful organizations in the past. Whether again I'm, I'm mentioning IDF Intelligence Corps, where Leonid, my co-founder, had a great great pool of talents. Uh, coming in, uh, who has this mentality of breaking things and and you know this mentality of some fear, kind of fearless attitude to build everything and, and everything is being you know we, you can solve everything. So this is an approach that we truly believe in, Lightran. And the other thing that we were looking for um, um, was around you know generalists. We we're looking for generalists who are not afraid for from any aspect of development and our like first developers they've been capable to do everything they've been capable to switch from different languages uh, they've been capable to, to deal with DevOps and infra um, and basically everything so I think that at the beginning where we're just establishing a software company you would like to hire some generalists who will be able to um, you know, develop and build and try and fail everything. And after that, you know, you all suddenly have some <clears throat> divisions in your company and suddenly you have different teams. But at the beginning, again, you want this fearless attitude of, yeah, we can build and crack everything. Well, let's flip to scalability. So did you build this to scale efficiently from day one, or are you fighting this as you grow? 
we build it to to adjust the scale of you know the prospects that we know <laughs> this is the honest answer so for example from our end even at the beginning we've been able to support um, customers having up until something like hundreds of instances running in parallel because it was pretty straightforward for us that the majority of the early adopters wouldn't deploy Lightrun in, you know, thousands or tens of thousands instances in real production environments at the beginning uh, where we weren't mature enough. So for testing uh, purposes and design partners, the scale was pretty straightforward. Like tens of instances is, is, is low, uh, whereas hundreds of them is, is something that we, can, we should aim for. So this is what we've done. Now that we already grew the organization and we support like some of the biggest enterprises out there, um, obviously we already support the scale of tens of thousands of instances per organization, which is very, very impressive. Um, and, and again, now we already have some organized process where we collect um, data about prospects, so we are being prepared and we are not being um, surprised by their size, scope, expectations, etc. Even at the beginning, we identified that some of the heavy regulated enterprise organizations that we're gonna, um, you know, work with, they're gonna have some issues with data privacy. Um, you know, compliance, as I mentioned before. So even at the beginning, it was very important for us to have some sort of a version that is being deployed in their premises without any information going out. So even at the beginning of the of when we just started Light One, we had two ways to support customers. One is our very simple to use SaaS product, and the second one is a very lightweight on-premise deployment uh, which assists them to maintain um, and manage the whole data flow within the organization. So even at the beginning, we already, we already had that uh, you know, line of product. And this is something that you don't see a lot in early stage companies and is derived based on our experience working with other uh, startup companies before and we simply suffered from this lack of support for these enterprise companies like you know when the company grew so it was pretty clear for both of us that we want to support this motion even at the beginning even in early days and it worked like magic um, it simply allowed us to penetrate to some heavy regulated big like really big organizations straight from the beginning that's great i love it that it worked like magic that's uh, <laughs> i can feel your confidence in saying that that's great thanks thanks no i appreciate it well as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built what are you most proud of the thing that i'm most proud of is the team i'm leaving aside the product because the product is still evolving and we have so many ideas of how we're going to build this platform, so many tests to conduct. But the thing that I am so proud of is our team. Uh, we've built this uh, team of rock stars. Uh, it sounds like very cliche, but 
it is <laughs> it is true and and from the management team that is uh, very sharp strategic um, and has some great domain expertise and we really brought some great people from the greatest companies you know in the dev space that we're dealing like leaders coming from Sneak and JFrog um, so this is one thing that I mentioned and the other one is some great 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 and hungry young um, you know people and employees that joined us with this mission of working very hard and eventually achieving success uh, within their you know work at light one the other thing that I'm proud about the team is that it seems like we can do everything again this fearless and competitive spirit and still have fun so I think it's very important and I can tell you that myself and even others um, that I'm, you know, um, I'm, I'm talking with them on a day-to-day basis, we simply enjoy arriving in the office. So I think this is the thing that I'm most proud of. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. So tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. Yeah, I can give you. I can give you one. I think we weren't smart enough to establish a strong leadership team at the beginning. We built this organization bottom-up, which has some great, great, great um, advantages. But eventually, I think that we should have hired um, the VP management level a bit before. And this will this is very important when you want to scale very fast because managers are crucial in order to scale the organization. So this is something that you know I simply couldn't anticipate that we're gonna grow so fast and we're gonna you know, raise this amount of money in a short in a pretty short uh, period of time. So once that happened, um, I can say that like again retrospectively, I'll be happy to have more leaders in the company um, to be able to support the fast pace that we should adjust. So I'm very happy to mention that now we're succeeding in building this management level. Um, but I think that retrospectively, again, um, it was better to happen before. So what does the future look like for the product and for your team? So let's start with the team. As mentioned before, now it's the phase where we are scaling the organization and scaling the business. Because obviously the first phase at any given startup company is this product market fit. Once the product market fit, um, once we achieve that, and we saw repetitive use cases, daily repetitive use cases uh, inside the organization and also in between organizations, uh, we got this confidence that we have a great product that now we should scale it. Um, So in terms of hiring and team, again, we're now 30 people. We're gonna be 60 employees in three quarters from now and we're gonna finish the next year something like 75 employees. Uh, so we're we're gonna grow very fast, okay? Um, 
and and this means that we're gonna enrich and empower our team with more and more go-to-market hires so again at the beginning we've been hiring mainly greatest developers um, and now on top of this um, you know R&D and product and, and, and engineering staff that we constantly grow we also grow and establish more and more uh, go-to-market hires whether it's sales developer relations community uh, marketing etc so this is how the future looks like in terms of um, team in terms of product and strategy and vision we're gonna simply become uh, the standard of how developers being able to better observe understand and debug live applications again we see great 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 tools out there um, or observability tools which allow operators to maintain um, you know production environments but as I claimed before we want to shift left observability and become the de facto standard of the right tool in which assist developers um, to gain, to define, to observe um, live applications from dev to production. I like how you simply put a huge, um, a huge goal of to simply become the standard. I, I love that. I love your aspirations, and uh, that's that's the way to do it. Exactly, exactly. We truly believe that we're about to build a huge company here. We're gonna be the de facto standard or the Again, the de facto best friend of developers to observe live applications. Um, and the, the distributed world where we live today, um, it's simply a must. And I don't see any reason why it shouldn't happen. So from my perspective, it's a matter of execution. Well, let's switch to you, Elon. Who influences the way that you work? A CEO, CTO, architect, really any person that you look up to and why? I have some, I would call it mentors. Um, some of them are investors of, of, of here at Lightman. Some of them are just friends. Um, I really try to have some um, domain experts in each aspect that I must, um, you know, deal with as part of my day-to-day. -day. Uh, and I, I will give you a few examples. Um, you know, as a CEO, we suddenly um, enforced to deal with finance, with product, with go-to-market, with sales, with marketing, with product, with strategy. So in each and each vertical here, I surrounded myself with the best people in the world from one hand. Okay, so I simply have the best people in the world to consult with at each vertical. But at the same time, I also surrounded myself with some, let's call it friends, right? Uh, which are other entrepreneurs or other uh, domain experts in the same uh, verticals that are, you know, running something like a year ahead of me, half a year ahead of me. Because um, I found that having the best experts in the world advising you is great but you want to have some others who are simply struggling with the same day-to-day -day as you are. So it was important for me, again, to surround myself and the CTO and even other executives here at the team 
um, with both levels of support. You know, the, the close network who, who, who are just heading us with half a year or a year, and the second level of experts, which are the greatest in the world, so you're being guided by the best um, people out there. So this is something that guides me, uh, myself, my co-founder, and other uh, leaders in the company as well. We talked about a mistake earlier, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? I will start marketing and go to market efforts much earlier. Um, you tend to think that you want to first develop a great product, then gain some confidence with customers, and then start working on go-to-market. And 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 my, prospe- my perspective today has been changed. If I would start Lightroom all over from the beginning, I would start marketing and go-to-market efforts from the beginning, even without having one single line of code written. For sure. Because this is a question that I've been asked from time to time, and this is a, an answer that I'm sure I would I would do differently um, in 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 another scenario. Well, last question, Elon. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? I think my my advice would be eventually we're dealing with people. So the humanity and you should be careful um, and you should truly care about people that surround you, whether it's employees, partners, customers. You, sh- you, sh- you should really care about them because eventually we it's very easy to turn yourself to a numbers guy where you look at numbers and you're very analytical and obviously we're required to do so. But eventually... The people are, you know, eventually the motivate the motivators, and and the executors. So, I think from time to time in this very competitive landscape, where you should, you know, achieve very, um, you know, ambitious goals within a very short period of time. It's very important to be surrounded by people you really care, and they care about you. And you see, you have some unified mission. So I think that eventually, again, it's very hard, it's very easy, sorry, um, to be very results oriented. But we are dealing with people. So I think that this would be my tip. This would be my two cents for this early entrepreneur. That is fantastic advice. I I appreciate that. Well, Elon, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Light Run. Thank you very much, Noah. Appreciate it. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. 